I want you to open your Bibles to the book of 2 Peter. How many of you believe we're going somewhere? You want to go now or do you want to go in a couple years? Let's go now, right? Praise God. We're going somewhere and it's somewhere good. And we're going where God wants us to go. We've said it many times. We don't believe in a dead religion. We don't believe in a, in a dead God. We don't believe in an empty philosophy. We believe in a very real, powerful, living God who wants a relationship with you and has made every, uh, everything possible so that you could have that relationship. The Bible says that this is the message that we've preached and heard, that God was in Christ, God was in Christ Jesus Christ, reconciling the world to Himself on the cross. Not counting your trespasses against you. And He's committed the same word of reconciliation to us. We as ambassadors for Christ say this. As though God were making an appeal through us. Be reconciled to God. Here's the translation. Here's an easy, simple way to say it. Here's God's message to you. I want you back. I want you here. I want you close. I want to give you life again. And the way for that to happen has been paid. Thank God. He's the answer to everything. I think everything broken in the world, everything perverted, everything twisted, everything that's wrong with the world has come from a separation from life, separation from God. Everything bad in the world came from that. Now that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that when a baby born with some disease, that doesn't mean the baby did anything wrong, does it? Doesn't mean the parents did anything wrong. No, because somebody, the disciples asked Jesus the same question. said, this guy was born blind. Who sinned, him or his parents? And Jesus didn't smack him over the head, even though he might. That might have been a good idea. He said, nobody did. I mean, can you honestly believe that this kid sinned before he was born? What's this fetus doing? What can you do in the womb that's sinful? <laughs> he doesn't even know any better. And do you think that God... In this new covenant that we serve, that God is so unmerciful that He would punish you for something your parents did? No. Thank God. So here's the deal. Sometimes we're just, things happen because we've been born into a world that's broken, and it's broken because of sin. It's broken because we separated from life. But if everything's broken because man separated from God, what do you think the solution is? Bring it back together. For many years, religion taught us that there was somebody standing between us and God. That that person would tell us what God was saying. If we did anything wrong, we'd go to that person and tell them, and they'd tell God. And God would say, I forgive you. And they'd say, I, God forgives you. But the Bible tells us that there's only one that stands between you and God, and that's Jesus Christ. And He doesn't stand between you and God to block you. He stands as your mediator, as your lawyer, as your high priest. He stands on your side. And thank God He is on our side. Amen? Did I say 2 Peter? I meant 1 Peter. And 2 Peter is really good. 2 Peter is, is, a, is a winner. But it's not what we're reading this morning. A couple weeks ago we read this verse. So don't, don't think you're experiencing deja vu. Uh, we're going to revisit it and uh, go a couple of different places with it. Um, but sometimes you need to revisit something because God's not done talking about it. So 1 Peter chapter 4, 
we uh, mentioned this morning about the things that God's doing in the hearts of young people, but you know it's not just young people, it's all of us. And there are things that are in your life, there's things that God's put there, and they're meant to come out, and they're meant to be used, and they're meant to uh, bless the world, and they're meant to give glory to God. Now, if whatever you're doing is not giving glory to God, stop doing it. Because everything He does gives Him glory. Everything He does, the, the, the praise, the glory, the recognition goes right back to Him. But you know, God gets great glory from using somebody that has very little skill in whatever they're doing, and yet when God uses them, something happens, and they all of a sudden are not doing this in their own strength, they're doing it in the power of God. God gets a lot of credit from that. We've quoted many times from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where he talks about the losers. He says this church was a church full of losers. He doesn't say it quite like that, but he says it's almost as bad. He said, in this church, not many of you, and he's not talking about our church, so don't get offended. But he says, not many of you are wise. Not a lot of smart people here. He said, not many of you were, were strong. A bunch of wimps. Not many of you were noble. You're a bunch of rednecks. Not, not rednecks. There's some noble rednecks. But noble men of, like, of good blood. Like you were fine pedigree. So rednecks, not the good word. Let's say hillbillies. Because nobody in this room would call themselves a hillbilly, would they? Because there's like no hills around here. Oh, Josh! <laughs> Praise God. You did. Deluxe version of a hillbilly. <laughs> it's like a mountain billy or something, isn't it? So anyways, he says, not many of you were very special if you were to just look at you. If you were to walk in that church, the church in Corinth, when the Apostle Paul wrote that letter, you'd, look, you'd walk in and go, these guys, I went to school with these guys. But then you'd begin to see that God's doing something through them, that all of a sudden these guys that weren't very wise now have wisdom that surpasses anything else anybody else has got. Now those that were kind of wimps, a little bit cowardly, now are strong and, and speaking in front of people with great strength and power and not backing down when they're threatened. Now these guys who weren't very noble walk around with the air of royalty because they do have royalty flowing in their veins now. God wants to take people that the world sees as losers and turn their lives around and show the world that He is able to do anything. Now you say, I'm not a, user. I'm not a loser. Can God use me? Yes, He can. But as soon as you realize that everything good that you're ever going to do in your life is going to come from Him. And uh, the best thing we can do is just to say, God, I'm tired of doing my own thing. I am tired of doing my own thing. I want to do what you want me to do. I'm tired of fighting and resisting the Holy Spirit in my life. Are you I mean, have you been at that place? How many of you have been at that place before where you say, I'm tired of resisting the Holy Spirit? I'm tired of resisting Him. And it may, just, it may be in a big way. It may be that you resisted Him before you got born again. You felt that tug. You felt that poking on your heart, and you, you fought it off. You let it go. Or it could have been something small that God wanted you to do and you just, you just kept putting it off or putting it on to somebody else. Somebody else would do that. You know, at a certain point you get tired of resisting the Holy Spirit and you say, all right, I want what you want for my life. The sooner we do that, the better. 
Now, I want to read you what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4 is uh, it's powerful. Does anybody know what was going on when this letter was written? Leah, what was going on when this letter was written? Right. If you didn't hear that, Leah said that Nero, who was the emperor of Rome, was persecuting Christians. Do you know why he was doing that? Because somebody started a fire in Rome. <laughs> and Nero wasn't a very popular guy. I mean, he killed his own mother. Can it be a good guy? No. Um, Nero thought that he was the greatest musician that Rome would ever see. He'd much rather be an artist than an emperor. And we all would have thought the world would have been better off if he had just done that. But he'd have, his, he'd have all his people come to his concerts and they'd have to clap even though it sounded terrible. He'd sing, and they said his voice was warbly, just like terrible. Like he's like a, like a teenager in puberty, you know, just really bad. And they said that, you know, he'd play his violin. It wasn't that good. So anyways, uh, Rome gets set on fire, and it may have been an accident. We don't know. It was in the middle of summer, so one little fire in the slums, when all those buildings are close together, becomes a big fire, 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 fire. But the thing was... What really burned up in that fire was the slums. Nero thought it would be a good idea as he saw his beloved Rome burning. And even though the, the, the uh, Praetorian Guard and all those other guys were trying to put out the fire, Nero thought, what should I do about this situation? Why? I shall play a sad song because my Rome is burning. It's out his fiddle. And he starts playing over Rome. Well, then the rumor gets out. Nero fiddled while Rome burned, you know. And they start, to, they start to say, wait a second. The main part of the city that got burnt were the slums. And they start believing that maybe Nero set the fire himself to clean up Rome. So he get, he's starting to feel the heat. Romans were one of the first groups of people that really perfected the art of graffiti. You may have thought that came along when spray paint was invented. No, the Romans were masters at it. When they had something to say to the emperor, they weren't dumb enough to say it on, you know, in front of somebody. So they'd sneak out at night and paint it on the walls. And he starts seeing all around the city painted on the walls. Nero fiddled while Rome burned. He starts seeing, he starts seeing this accusation that Nero was a murderer and an arson. He's the emperor. He can't have this. So he says, we need to, we need to put the blame on somebody. And they realized that the two areas of the city that were untouched were where the Jews lived and the Christians lived. <laughs> and he says, the Jews are too big for us to choose them as a scapegoat. Too many of them. So they picked a small group of Christians. They said, they're a good scapegoat. We'll blame them. They started spreading the word that Christians started the fire in Rome. As they did that, they began to arrest people just for believing in Jesus. Some were killed in very violent public ways. The Colosseum wasn't yet built. Um, wasn't it, at least wasn't the Colosseum. Uh, that was finished later on, and, and different story. 
But they did have big stadiums, and they had these Christians killed in front of a lot of people, sometimes in very sadistic, disgusting ways. Um, We don't need to get into that. But there was great persecution, and Peter was called by God to stay in Rome and minister to the people of Rome. And when he writes this letter, all across the empire, Christians are being persecuted, but mostly in Rome. And Peter writes this letter, not just to Romans, but to Jewish people, Jewish Christians, sorry, scattered across the empire. And when he writes this, not just to, I mean, not just to Jewish Christians, he says, uh, in 2 Peter he mentions that to the tribes that are scattered, but in, in 1 Peter he says, and let me read it to you, to those who reside as aliens. Now, none of us like to be called aliens, do we? But you know what he's saying. You live here as aliens. In other words, you don't belong here. You've got a different citizenship. You're not Romans. You're not even of this world. You are, I mean, when you got born again, that's your true home. Heaven is my home. Heaven is my my fatherland, my motherland. That's where I come from. And so he says, you're just here as strangers. You're just temporarily here. Don't get too used to the culture. Don't, don't, uh, don't work so hard to fit in because this is not where you're from. He says, To those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ. This is in the first chapter, first verse. I didn't plan to read this. That's why I didn't tell you to go there. But let me read what he says. He says, I'm writing this to you according to the foreknowledge of God. You were chosen, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. And you see, he's writing to a church that is being persecuted. So he tells them, don't give up. Keep fighting. Jesus didn't give up. He kept going. And they, there were some of them, and, and he begins to address this, that weren't just struggling with persecution, they were also struggling with the resistance against sin. Sin was trying to creep back in and, and bind their life. He said, you're free from that. And he says, Jesus endured. Jesus was tempted and yet did not give in. You can do this too. In chapter 4, he says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh. Arm yourselves. Do you hear that? Arm yourselves also with the same purpose. The same purpose as Jesus Christ. The purpose that God gives you is meant to be your armor and your weapon. It's meant to help you get through all these things. When you know that God called you and you know what your purpose is and you know why you're on this planet, it's, it's a weapon. I mean, it's, it's, it's in your favor. He says, arm yourselves with the same purpose because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer. What does that mean? That means you don't live the rest of your life just doing things that feel good, even though, guys, can I tell you, your flesh and your spirit are two different things, guys. And your flesh feel, certain things feel good for the flesh, but the flesh does not want what's best for you. But the spirit knows what's good. And when you taste and see that the Lord is good, there is nothing better than the joy that comes from that Spirit. I'm telling you, this is not a boring, miserable life that you've been called to. 
This is a wonderful life. Oh, it's good. It's very good. But you know, those first little while, your flesh and your spirit are going to have fights. Like two opposites that got married and forced to live together in the same small little apartment. They're not getting along. The flesh wants to do uh, these selfish things that just make you feel good. And the spirit wants to do what pleases God. And they fight. And he says, you put the flesh to death. You're not, you're not living according to the flesh any longer. He says, you're not living for the flesh or the lusts of men. He says, but for the will of God. That's why you're alive. God put you here and he designed you specifically. You may not get why you are the way you are. You may not get certain things about you, but God gets them. And they were designed by him. And they're meant to be there. Not everything. Some things have to go away. But there are things that he put in you since you were a little child. You didn't know how they were going to be used. I ministered in, in, in the States one time, and the other guy preaching was a prophet of God who was like so specific. It was not like vague. I've told you about this before, but it was not like vague. Um, God loves you, and he's very proud of you. You know, it wasn't like that. Nothing wrong with that either. But he was real specific. I told you about this guy. He would say things like, last week, Wednesday, 2 o'clock, you were in your truck. You were crying. God saw you there. Here's what he wants to say to you. And the kids, I mean, this was a youth camp. The youth would just break down crying because, I mean, that's exactly what was happening last Wednesday at 2 o'clock. He said when he was a kid, he never understood. I believe he was a believer at a young age, but he never understood while he'd be sitting in the car, and the car's just going along normal. And all of a sudden, he'd get a picture in his head of a car coming out of nowhere, running a, running a stop sign or a red light, coming out of nowhere. He said to his dad, stop the car! There's a car coming. His dad said, what are you talking about? Dad didn't stop the car. Kept driving. Boom! The car hits the other car. Things like this kept happening in his life, and he's like, what's going on here? Well, he learned later that God had placed in him a prophetic gift that he couldn't quite understand. I talked to Bridget about this. Bridget had some stories like that when you were a little girl, right, Bridget? You can't explain. There were just things you knew. Well, you may say, you may say, I thought you got those gifts when you got older. Well, sometimes those kids get these things. Now, they're not perfected. They don't know how to use them. But there are things that God put in you that you don't know about. And he's going to use them for his purpose and his will and his plan. If you'll get into his word and you'll be disciplined, you'll allow yourself to be disciplined and trained by the Holy Spirit and by the word and by the leaders that God puts in your life, then you're going to see that gift go way past what anybody else could do. And he says that now you're meant and designed not to live for the flesh and the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. Gentiles just meaning people that don't believe. Having pursued a course of sensuality. What is sensuality, guys? That's what makes your senses feel good. He says, you, you've pursued a course of sensuality. Lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you don't run with them in the same excesses of dissipation. And they malign you. Okay, there's a lot of fancy words there. Let's break it down. Basically, you've all been here. When you got born again, you stopped doing what you used to do. And it says your old friends are surprised that you don't do this anymore. You ever been there? 
what do you, you turn into a buzzkill. You got born again. No, I mean, happier now than I've ever been. Why don't you go out drinking with us? Why don't you out getting, getting wasted? Why don't you go out and, and do these things with us? Well, I know this is surprising to you, but I can be happy sober. You have to work hard at it. You have to get stoned out of your mind to actually have a good time. Jesus is so good that I have a good time completely sober. That's how easy it is for me. It's hard for you. You have to buy stuff to help you get happy. I'm generally happy. I have the joy of the Lord inside of me. And like Peter, sometimes we've all said this, sometimes we may even seem drunk it's that good. (laughs) Peter says, we're not drunk like you think. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, people are surprised that you're not doing what they do. He says, but don't worry about them. They'll give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those that are dead. He's not talking about people in the grave. He's talking about people that are dead to Christ. They're they're dead in the spirit. They're not alive. Because when Jesus came, you became alive, right? You woke up. Life came to you. We were dead. Now we're alive. Does that sound boring? What sounds more exciting? Lying in a coffin or walking around breathing, having a good time? Right? Right? Being alive is a lot more fun than being dead. I'm going to tell you, this is, this is the life. He says, and, and I'm not telling you this is all about having fun. But the will of God, when you, when you as, long, as long as your will and the will of God are clashing, this isn't going to be a good time. You're going to have a hard time. And you may even do the right thing, but it won't be fun. But the minute you say, your will is my will, and I want what you want, and I'm not going to fight you, I'm just going to do it, then you've got joy. And even when you're in situations like they were in where people are hitting you and punching you and trying to kill you, and things may not be going real rosy all around you, you've still got joy and you're still alive. And he says, we, here's the deal, he's preached even to those that are dead that they, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit According to the will of God. This is what God wants you to do. Is to be alive in the spirit. According to the will of God. Live according to the will of God. What is according to? It means along the line. Going, walking directly in the will of God. Isn't that an awesome place to be? We talked, I mean, Jared talked about it. uh, Speaking in John 10 to the youth. And then we went to Psalm 23. Because John 10, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. We went to Psalm 23 where the Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd. And there's that famous line where he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not afraid. I fear no evil, for you're with me. That means in the worst day, in the worst environment, in the worst place with the worst people, you're not afraid because God himself is with you. So the will of God is a good place to be. Really good. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment, sober spirit, for the purpose of prayer. (laughs) Does he say, those of you that are on the prayer team, be of sound spirit and a sound mind and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Does he say that? Does he say those that show up on Monday night? Does he say those are called to prayer ministry? Do you notice the Bible never says anybody's called to prayer ministry? Because we're all called to prayer ministry. 
There's nobody gets a pass. Why would you want a pass, really? <laughs> I've got a four-month-old at home. Do you imagine if I said to him, Moses, I'm giving you a pass. You never have to talk to me for the rest of your life, and I won't talk to you. He may not understand me, and he'll gurgle something back to me, but what if I said that when he was able to talk? This is the last time we're going to talk. Don't worry. We're going to have other kids, and they're going to be called to talk to me. <laughs> but you and I are never going to have another conversation. Aren't you happy? No, that's, that's child abuse. <laughs> it's not going to be good news. Why do we think it's good news if God says, you don't have to pray right now. Why would he say that to you? You get to pray. You get to talk to God. And he's going to talk back to you. He says, pray without ceasing. Never hang up the phone. Keep talking. Keep the conversation alive. He says this. Above all. Now, if this is above all, is there anything more important than this? Well, we better be paying attention. Because the most important thing that God's about to say in this chapter is right here. Above all, keep fervent. And fervent means passionate. Fervent means without wavering. Fervent means when, when it doesn't feel like it, you still do it. Keep fervent in your love for one another. Some, some people say, no, I'm fervent in my love for God, but these people stink. I don't like them. That's not an option. When he talks about one another, he's talking about these believers that are stuck together from different backgrounds, different jobs. Colossians 3 talks about Jews and Greeks. Okay, I get it. Jews and Greeks. We can kind of get along. The Jews think they're religiously superior. The Greeks think they're intellectually superior. But maybe we can get along. Hey, because I'm not done. In Christ, there's no distinction between Jew, Greek, slave, they're like, wait, we have to hang out with slaves? No, no. Oh, I'm not done. Slaves or free? Barbarians? Oh, God, no, not barbarians. Why do, you, do we have? They smell. They, they're mean. They, they don't brush anything. They're just, have you seen their clothes? Freshly skinned. They, they, they still look like the animal. And he says barbarians or <gasps> Scythians. Barbarians are one thing. You know, the Greeks and the Romans, they called a lot of people barbarians that were probably not really barbarians. They just weren't as sophisticated as them. But now you just brought the Scythians into it, and these guys are disgusting. These guys are weird. These guys, in their history, these are the kind of things that Scythians did. They'd win a battle? Here's what we're going to do. We've got all sorts of trinkets that we can make to commemorate this great battle. We're going to use the skin of the people we just conquered. We're going to use their skulls as mugs. Because we all want to drink from a skull, right? You can make it fancy. Don't worry, Barry. I see you're grossed out here. And I know you're troubled by this, but don't worry. You can dress it up with some nice pretty stones and gems and stuff. It'll be, it'll be nicer than just a skull. You say, well, how will the liquid stay in? Well, the skin gets wrapped around. That's good. Family day. Okay. So, Scythians <laughs> were disgusting people. 
No, I didn't get into the habits of some of the tribes that were their cousins. Now, those are the gross things. You should have heard what they did after a funeral. Never mind. Okay, so anyways, God says you have to eat together. You don't just have to eat together. You've got to love one another. Now, how many of you have said this before? I love them, but I just don't like them. You said that? Yeah, I've heard this too. Do you know what, though? When you're fervent in your love, you start to like people. You really do. You know why? He's about to tell you. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Do you know why you don't like people? Because they don't meet up to your standard. Do you know what sin is? Missing a mark. That's God's mark and that's your mark. Sin is not measuring up to the mark that's set. And when people don't measure up to your mark, you don't like them. And they don't meet what you think they should be, you don't like them. But he says keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers multitude of sins. So the gaps in our personalities, the gaps in our relationships, the gaps in our skills of communication are covered by love. We're getting to the good part, guys. Get ready. He says this. Now, can I just say before I go any further, the youth just came from a conference where the guest speaker made them do weird things. Not weird, but like out there. Like they had to go things like, mm-hmm, things like that. And they're being silent right now. <laughs> and all I'm asking is for a little, yeah, that's right, or an amen every now and then. I'm not making you do this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hello. All right. Here's the good part. He says, he says, be hospitable to one another without complaint. Oh, that's a good part, right? <laughs> you know, we'll do favors for people as long as we can tell everybody how terrible it was. But he says, be hospitable without complaint. <laughs> I like this. This is good. As to each one has received a special gift. A unique gift that God gave you. It says, how many have received this gift? Each one has received a gift that's unique to them. Now, we've all received the, the gift of salvation, right? We all have that. We've all received the gift of, or should, gift of the Holy Spirit, right? Okay. But here's what he says. That we've also received these gifts inside you that God put there. Each one of us. You can't say God didn't give me anything. You can't say God didn't. Put anything special inside of me. Everybody has this who's born again. Everybody who receives Jesus, the Bible said, is a new creation. Old things have passed away. But then he says, look, behold, stare at this for a while. Don't stare at the old things that have passed away and say, I used to be this, I used to be this, I used to be this. Get over who you used to be. Because he says, old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Behold, new things have come. And he says, all those things are from God. And here's what he says here, that each one of you has received a special gift. And what are you supposed to do with it? What's the next two words? Employ it. Now, if you're an employer, what do you do? You go to work. Does, would you, I mean, Chris, you're a business owner here. Chance, you've got a crew. 
A lot of you guys have some businesses, people work for you. How would you feel if your employer spent the day, tools in hand, just chilling? Not doing anything, just hanging out. We're looking at cars going by, whistling at dogs, things like that. Not good. They w- it wouldn't fly, right? I mean, this is obvious, right? This is not fly. Your employers are meant to be used. Employees, right? <laughs> Don't use your employers. <laughs> your employees are meant to be used. Your tools are meant to be used. And he says the gifts inside of you are not meant to just sit around. Employ them. How do you employ them? In elevating your ministry? Do you employ them in pumping up your uh, resume? Do you employ them in putting you over other people? No, he says employ them in serving one another. This is how we know when a gift is from God or not. Not only do we have the Holy Spirit inside us which discerns these things. Not only do we have the Word of God which shows us how the gifts are supposed to work. It shows us what they look like. But it's real easy to find out when someone's doing something that's just pumping them up. But a real gift will serve the body. It'll serve one another. Real gift is not about you. The gifts that God gives you are not to elevate you, although He will elevate you. The Bible says if you humble yourself before the Lord, He'll exalt you. He'll lift you up. But he says that these gifts, use them to serve one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The manifold grace of God, that means manifold in the original Greek is a a word called pikolos, and it means that it fills every shape, fills every color, it's diverse, it's unique. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Joseph had a coat of many colors. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this word is used that we use for manifold. It's diverse. It's unique. It's got a lot of different colors to it. It's got a lot of different shapes. What does that mean to you? That means the grace of God in your life. Now, what is the grace of God? That's the power of God to do what we can't do. That's Jesus stepping in. Where we are weak, He's strong, right? So the grace of God, thank God I've got grace to preach this morning because I don't have it in myself to do this. We have, Naomi had grace to lead. Uh, uh, you know, Tim's back there, graced to be a godly usher and greeter. Now, that may seem like a job that you could do in the flesh, but I'm going to tell you, I've seen Tim work. He does it in the Spirit. And so there's a difference. And it says when we let the grace of God come in, it looks different in everyone. It looks different in everyone. But it will have the same character in everyone. It will have the same nature in everyone. It will have the same essence It will have different shapes and sizes and colors. It will come out in different ways. God was so good to me that He put me in two churches that are filled with people that are very different from me. So that I'm not expected to create clones of me, but disciples of Jesus. And it's going to show up differently in all of you. You're not all meant to to be like me or or to be like Naomi or to be like Tim. You're all meant to be who God made you to be. And he's going to do it through you because it's the grace of God. He says you're a good steward, which means you're, you're taking care of what he gave you. If 
I trust you with, you know, if I go away and I ask you to water my plants, that's your stewardship now. You're a steward of my plants. I've trusted you with them. I expect that when I come home, they're not going to be dead. Because that's what happens when I'm home. <laughs> I trust that you'd do better than I would do, right? No, I trusted you with something. I gave you something. I, here's a better example. We sent one of these youth out. Say, guys, we need subs for everybody. We want to have a just impromptu lunch here. We want a bunch of like those, you know, 24 feet long subs. Yeah. I'm going to give you a credit card. And I want you to get those subs. Well, now if I gave it to Cody and he goes out and he says, okay, I got a credit card. I'm supposed to get subs. And Barry's with him and Barry says, yeah, but you know what else we could get? My car needs new tires. I think this credit card's got a big limit on it. Let's use it. Or Garrett comes along and says, Cody, you got stuff to do, man. I know he gave you the credit card. Don't listen to Barry. But you know what? Let's just not do anything with it. Just put the credit card in your pocket. Don't lose it because he'll be mad if you lose it. Don't lose it, but you just we, we don't need to go to Subway. And he won't be mad because we didn't charge anything to it that wasn't supposed to be there. Well, if either of those situations happened and he came back, I wouldn't be happy. If you put stuff on there that wasn't supposed to be on there, you tried to be something you weren't, use it for something it wasn't supposed to be used for, I wouldn't be happy, right? You try to use the grace of God for something it wasn't given you to use, the gifts of God for things that God didn't tell you to do, it's not going to end well. But if you came back and you're like the guy in the parable of the talents, that was so afraid that he was going to mess up what God gave him, that he didn't do anything, you're also going to get in trouble. And this is the part where a lot of Christians miss it. Because a lot of Christians know that if I go out and I do something stupid, I'm going to get in trouble. Now, I don't know what kind of trouble you think you're going to get in, but you think you're going to get in some trouble. But you know, there are Christians all across the world that God put gifts inside. They're so afraid that they're going to mess up. They're so afraid that they're going to abuse their gift that they never use them. And Jesus said when that guy comes back, he does not get a pat on the back, thank you for not losing my money. He said, you could have at least put it in the bank and it would have got you a little bit of interest. He said, you didn't do anything with what I gave you. He tells them to get out. Now we don't... We don't think that's a good thing, do we? Every gift that God gives us, there's a, a right now picture and a big future picture. Some of us are so caught up in the big future picture that we forget that there's a right now picture for it. If you're called to preach, how many of you know you may not have everything it takes to preach tomorrow? You're called to pastor. You may not be ready to be a pastor tomorrow. But you have what it takes to begin to develop that gift inside of you. Mark Francie, who was the, one of the guest speakers that the kids were talking about at 24-6, he got his start scrubbing toilets. He was a janitor. He said, I basically, he told me, <laughs> he told me how much he made. He said, I basically paid them to work for them, work for the church. 
He worked for the church that he believed God called him to, and all they, the only opening they had was to clean the church. Now, you say, wait a second, we clean the church for free. Are you saying you're going to get paid? <laughs> Let me tell you, they were in a real big church that had to hire full-time staff. <laughs> we appreciate your giving. But this guy, he said, I basically have to pay the church. Well, you know what? He may say, he could have easily said, I'm called to be a pastor. I don't have to scrub toilets. But he said, all right, I'm going to start where I am. I'm going to go where God tells me to go, and, and whatever needs to be done, I'm going to get it done. And you begin to cultivate faithfulness, and you also trust God that he's going to cultivate that gift. And don't let it just sit there, but begin to use it to serve other people. Begin to use it to serve the body and serve the kingdom. And he says this. Here's the best part. Get ready. I had planned to go a lot of other places this morning, but we're going to wrap it up with this thought. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. That means if God called you to speak, He did not call you to come up with a good message. He didn't call you to write a good sermon. He called you to stand up and speak what He wants to say to the people. He called you to stand there, open your mouth, know the word good enough that it flows out of you, trust the spirit good enough that you can hear his voice, and let him talk. He says, whoever speaks is not to speak their opinion, is not to speak their viewpoint, is there to speak as if God were speaking to the people. He says, whoever serves. Now, serving comes in a lot of different forms and shapes. Serving might be uh, what some of the members here do when they go to the, um, I mean, there's some of the things you guys do that fit into both these categories. In fact, a lot of things fit into both these categories. You can serve without speaking, but you can't speak without serving. But, you know, when Denny and some of you others go to the, the nursing homes and you minister to those people there, you know, that compassion that God gives you, that, that ability to relate and love that God gives you is purely from Him. Whether you clean the church or whether you go and, and you help somebody move to their new house or whatever you're doing, He says, whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. That's probably a hard thing for some of us to do because we know we could do this on our own, Right? Serving sometimes we think is a natural thing and speaking is a spiritual thing. You've got it all wrong. This is all meant to be a manifestation of the grace of God in your life. This is meant to be God working through you no matter what you're doing in the body. It's meant to be God doing it. He says if you're speaking, you better speak like God speaking through you. If you serve, you don't serve in your strength. You may know how to do something. You're just mowing the lawn. You go, I don't need, to, I don't need God to mow the lawn. I know how to mow the lawn. Now let him do it. Let him help you. Let him, I mean, and I'm going to tell you something, guys. When you're serving the strength that God gives, I learned this as a teenager. When you're mowing the lawn, you're way, way more detail-oriented than you ever normally would be. There's that corner that probably nobody ever is going to see. You don't get by with just leaving that alone. God's like, no, no, you're doing this is unto me. Your reward comes from me. I'm paying you for this job. And I pay more than anybody in Lloydminster would pay you. I pay more than 
than any millionaire or billionaire would pay you to do his lawn. You're going to do it for me. When you do it for me, you do it with excellence. Whatever you're doing, serve by the strength which God supplies. So when you know, Brother Tim's got other gifts, and he leads the men's ministry, he ministers in Macklin. But when he stands back there as an usher, he's not standing there like a bouncer at a club. He's not standing there like an usher in a theater. He's standing there as a minister of God that is a point of first contact when people walk in those doors. He's the first face they see, greeting them in the, in the Holy Spirit, imparting the love of God to them in a way that they're going to know the moment they walk in that I am loved in this room. You need God to let you do that. And the reason we let God do all these things instead of us is that so that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That means the gifts that God gave you will always glorify Jesus. I see somebody who's just pumping up themselves. I don't buy it. But when God is glorified through what he's doing in your life, that's a good thing. He says that all, in all things, in everything that's happening in the church, in everything that's happening at your job, in everything that's happening in your family, that in all things God may be glorified. That means that in all things God gets credit. He gets honor. People look at your life and say, God is good. Is that what happens when people look at you? Do they look at you and say, God is good? Because I can tell you, people look at, looked at me and our family even when we were going through a really tough time and we're able to look at us and say God is good you may think the only time I'm in it I'm, I'm evidence of God's goodness is when things are going good no in fact the evidence of God's goodness is sometimes most apparent when things are hard and everything else is crashing around you and you still have joy and peace that passes all understanding and they look at you and go God is good to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This means that the glory is His. It belongs to Him. You try to steal it, you're robbing God. You try to use your gift to pump up you, you're robbing God. You try to use that pulpit to advance your ministry instead of His, you're taking something that's His and making it yours, and that's not good. What is good, though? Giving glory to Jesus. You say, can I give glory to Jesus? I thought the only people that gave glory to Jesus were the fancy pants. I thought the only people that gave glory to Jesus were the people that had been saved for 50 years. I thought the only people that gave glory to Jesus were the ones who could string three sentences together and actually sound like they know what they're talking about. The ones that can give glory to Jesus are the ones that can use whatever they've been given to serve. Use whatever you've been given. And guess what, guys? I'm going to tell you something. I'm just going to tell you really quick. You know the story, uh, in fact, Randy and I were talking about this before the service. You know the story of Stephen and Philip. Stephen was the first guy to get killed for his faith. Remember that awesome message he preached that Paul heard? God used Stephen to preach that first sermon to Paul when he was just Saul of Tarsus. He used Stephen to, to, to bring the gospel to that guy who's going to be a minister of the ends of the earth. But anyways, Stephen was the first guy to die. And uh, he didn't do it by falling off the stage here. But he was the first guy to die for his faith, be killed for his faith. And you know what his job description was? Make sure all the widows get fed fairly. Philip, when church, the church was persecuted, Jesus had told them, I want you to spread out 
Preach it in Jerusalem. Preach it in Judea. Preach it in Samaria. And then to the ends of the world. But do you know what? They all got so comfortable being in the same church, having a nice big church, that they didn't want to spread out. And it wasn't until Stephen died and they started actively, Paul started, or Saul at the time, started actively persecuting the church, arresting families, throwing kids in prison, throwing their parents in prison, that the, the church scattered. And Philip, his job description was the same as Stephen's. Make sure the widows get fed. But you know what he does? He starts preaching in Samaria. And the hand of God is with him and miracles happen. And people get born again and receive Jesus. And you know it says the apostles came down to visit him. Well, how did the apostles know? Because this guy didn't break fellowship with his leadership. He didn't say, I'm doing my own thing. But he started doing what God told him to do. And he went back and he said, am I doing all right, guys? And they said, yeah, we're actually going to help you. The apostle Paul, when he received a great revelation from God. He knew it was from God. Jesus visited him. And yet he comes back to the apostles and he says, I just want to submit this to you to make sure I'm not running in vain. And they said, go get him, Paul. Go get him. Don't think that other people that maybe God put in your life, the place of authority or leadership, don't think that threatens who you are. Because godly leadership does not keep you down. It lifts you up. But that doesn't mean, look at, look at guys, that doesn't mean that you wait for them to tell you everything you're supposed to do. Sometimes you just got to bring something. I, I don't know everything God's got for you. These youth heard something from God. I didn't know all that. But I believe that they heard from God. I'm going to help them get there. Now, what if you came and, and the Apostle Paul said, I want to make sure I'm not running in vain. What if the, what if the other apostles said, you are running in vain. What do you think he would have done? He would have went back to God and said, what did I miss? <laughs> because otherwise it's pointless just to do that. And Jesus said in John chapter 5, he says, he says, the things I hear from the Father are the things I say. And he says, my, the things I hear, he says, my judgment is correct. In other words, when I hear from God, my judgment about what I heard is always right. And here's why it's always right. Can you wait to hear this? Can I tell you why he's right about what God said to him? Can I tell you how he didn't miss God? He said, my judgment about what God said is right because I don't seek my own will, but his will. What does this mean? If you go to God wanting an answer and you want the specific answer that you want, you're not going to hear from God. Your judgment about what he says is going to be wrong. If you go to me and you say, I, I think I heard from God, and, and you don't want me to say what I think about it. You just want me to say, okay, good, here's a million dollars. Then your judgment's not right. You've got to be unbiased before the Lord and say, I don't know. I know what I kind of want, but I'm going to put that down. And I'm going to put my will down and, and just be unbiased and say, you can say yes or no, and I will be equally happy. Now, I don't have the authority to tell you to disobey God, nor would I ever want to. Thank God, you don't have to wait for me or Pastor Brownie or anybody else before you hear from God. You don't have to wait for us to say, God says you're supposed to be, uh, uh, God says you're supposed to be a dentist. You have to hear from God. Philip just started doing what he knew to do, 
And the apostles recognized the grace of God on him, and they had to correct him a little bit because he wasn't telling them about the Holy Spirit. They said, God, dude, you've got to tell them about the Holy Spirit. He received correction, but you know what? He just started doing what God told him to do. Sometimes we're waiting for so long for permission to hear from God. You don't need permission to hear from God. You don't need permission to start serving somebody. Start working on it. Don't wait for somebody to say, get off your seat. Here's what God's telling you to do. You need to find out. And start doing it. Start working on it. Start working it out. Start practicing the things that are in you. Thank God. That in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Would you stand up with me? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. God is good, isn't he? I want you to make up your mind that whatever it is that's already in you, listen, God already put those gifts in you. Old things have passed away, new things have come. God already put some stuff in you that's hidden, some stuff that's already up the surface. You know, a plant puts down roots and grows deep before it starts popping out of the surface, doesn't it? Sometimes there's things in you that need time to put down some roots before, it, before the world will see it. Don't get nervous that the world doesn't see how good you are. Don't get nervous that the world's not seeing the gifts inside of you. Cultivate those gifts. Start using them. Start using them. If you're called to be a pastor... You may not be called to be a pastor this month. But did you know you're supposed to start using that gift? How? How do I start using a pastoral gift if I'm not a pastor? You get into the Word. You start encouraging your brothers and sisters. When I was a teenager, can I tell you what happened? I was a teenager, and I was on the phone with one of my fellow youth, and the youth were on fire. And I was encouraging this this other person to uh, saying like, you know what? I know what God said to you. I know what you said to God. You've got to keep going. And I was really encouraging them. And I hung up the phone and my dad looked at me and he said, you have a pastor's heart. And that stuck with me for the rest of my life. Because I wasn't a pastor. But that gift was already in me. Some of you have a pastor's heart. Some of you have a heart of an evangelist. Some of you have a heart of a prophet. Some of you have a heart of a servant. Some of you have a heart of a giver. Start doing something. It doesn't mean you're going to be in charge of everybody all of a sudden. There's times of training. There's times of preparation. But there's also a big part of preparation is, is doing it, using it in small ways, maybe big ways. Let God work in your life.